Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. Join us on Facebook at the Broadband Bunch to see the latest episodes, news, and photos. The Broadband Bunch, as always, sponsored by ETI Software. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. In today's episode, we speak with Will Mitchell. He is the CEO and co-founder of Vetro FiberMap. Will explains geospatial or map-based analytics. Uh, he helps us understand why the telecommunication is now moving towards uh, map-based information. He helps us understand how network operators can benefit from intelligence maps. Uh, we talk a little bit about post-COVID and how better understanding of our infrastructure can accelerate the systems that we desperately need during this time. And we take a look at what map-based insight and analytics may look like in the future. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. My name is Pete Pizzatello and I am joined today by Will Mitchell. He is the co-founder and CEO of Vetro Fiber Map. Will, hey, how are you? Doing good, Pete. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, I'm excited about our conversation and, um, you know, I'm hoping everybody's safe and happy and uh, well on, on your family and your team. I know it's kind of a crazy time and we'll dig a little bit into that. So uh, thanks for taking your time out of uh, a busy schedule. Um, yeah, like, likewise. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey, right? And I think a lot of the conversations that we have had have been really interesting to talk about plans and expectations prior to a pandemic and then how that's impacting us. And it's really interesting in, in the industry that we're in. Um, you know, I think it's, it's really bringing it to the limelight. And I think the capabilities and the partnerships that you have, I think will be really interesting to show um, the potential, right? I mean, how, you know, how we all can get smarter uh, using data and uh, smarter to understand the systems and networks that all the citizens and global communities are, are counting on us to uh, to improve and grow and develop. And so uh, I think you guys have a really interesting perspective on that. So I'm excited to get into that. But before we do, um, you know, as I mentioned, you're a co-founder and it'd be really interesting to help us understand your personal journey, how you decided to start a, a software company in this space. Where did, where did you come from? What, what got you on that path? Yes. Thanks Pete. Um, yeah, I, I, as you mentioned just now, I, I I do feel like we're we're in this big connectivity moment. You know, it's like a, everyone's distributed, working from home, and um, it's it's just never been more prominent the need to be online and connected in a, in a quality manner. So these networks that we're talking about are um, are fundamentally important to everyone now. Um, so just a, a little bit about my background and how I got here. Um, it goes back um, a couple decades. You know, I went, I grew up uh, in Maine. I'm, I'm speaking to you here from Portland, Maine, where our company is based. Um, and I went away to um, to study uh, at Georgetown, went to the School of Foreign Service and did, um, did a degree in international relations, which interestingly led into a geography interest and a geography uh, program of study in grad school. Um, and that geography uh, program led squarely into 
mapping technology and uh, known as GIS, Geographic Information Systems. Uh, that launched the GIS career, uh, went through uh, a couple of different uh, flavors of applying GIS, uh, starting in forestry and natural resources briefly over into engineering uh, and supporting an engineering firm and um, in lots of uh, projects with maps and uh, map database creation. Um, and then um, came home to, uh, to Maine, to Portland, to start a GIS consultancy. Uh, in that role, uh, I got a lot of exposure um, for about a decade helping people utilize desktop GIS. Um, you know, this would, would have been 2000 to, you know, uh, around the 2000 timeframe, getting started on that. Um, and then, you know, as things progress forward, uh, going mobile, going cloud, um, you know, the, my, my own career kind of uh, followed that path. Uh, and in 2008, I got together with my co-founder, Sean Myers, uh, and founded um, a mapping software development shop. Uh, and, you know, the name of it was NBT Solutions. Um, Sean, uh, by way of introduction, uh, is from uh, upstate New York, Rochester area. Uh, was he was working in engineering GIS, and we we crossed paths and, and got together probably 15 years ago uh, on some municipal GIS projects uh, in the utilities space. So uh, imagine water and sewer system inventory and mapping, uh, which as you can you can imagine that sort of lends itself neatly into network mapping, and and that network mapping is applied um, in our uh, fiber optic network context now. So Sean's got that utility GIS background. Um, I, I should also mention a, a third partner at the outset. We had a, a technology uh, expert named Scott Stewart down in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, he left the company prior to our conversion over to the Vetro focus, but he was um, a great friend and a brilliant technologist. And he, he, he fundamentally helped shape the team and our approach to building software. So um, that's a little bit of the the origin story, um, but I didn't even get to Vetro yet. Should I keep going? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Before we get into Vetro, a um, couple questions. You, you know, GIS, as you you know, explain um, to me, it's always been a kind of a subset of big data or you know analytics. You know, when people talk about kind of the bigger set of using turning information into insight, you know, and I think while GIS has been around you know, I think maybe in the past 15, 20 years, it feels like it's uh, late to the game in this space, this telecommunication space. Um, so is that a good assumption? And if it is, you know, why do you think, why do you think that is that it, it's taken this industry um, this long to figure out how to, you know, not that they, they, you know, they were doing it maybe in an analog fashion, but you know, why, why now, why do you think GIS is starting to emerge in this space? That's a, that's a really Good question, and it's something that uh, Sean and I were asking ourselves when we sort of uh, stumbled into the opportunity that became Vetro. Um, you know, uh, municipal asset management and utilities, GIS seems to be quite ubiquitous and mature. And uh, as we as we began, so we were building software applications, mapping tools, and GIS solutions um, for clients in the early years, um, starting in 2008. Uh, Vetro came along 
really around 2015 and got going for real in 2016. Um, so along the way, we were doing this discovery and, and I would, I would, um, you know, I would support what you just said. And, and that is we found that, uh, GIS seems generally underrepresented and underutilized, uh, in the, at least in the small and mid, uh, mid-sized uh, telecom segment, the, the folks that we were talking to, uh, the smaller ISPs essentially around the country. Um, it's not that the big guys are, are necessarily happy with their mapping systems either, but, uh, but we were focused on the small and mid. Um, and th- there was a time in the nineties when I used to, uh, have a, a hand in, um, uh, map info activities and, and this, this software, this GIS software called map info. Uh, I, I was trained up on Esri, ESRI, then the arc info and arc view and all this arc GIS suite. Uh, that's quite ubiquitous. Uh, map info was actually very strong in telecom at the time in the, in the late nineties and, uh, especially in wireless. Uh, something happened um, along the way uh, over the next decade. Uh, I, I guess after some, uh, you know, a bit of a crash and contraction and consolidation, uh, the smaller ISPs who I would have thought would be using desktop GIS, whether MapInfo or Arc or something else, they tended to be gravitating all uh, mostly over to Google Earth, which isn't really a GIS. It's a mapping tool. It's a good one. Uh, but there's no database behind it. It's not made, it's not a GIS uh, per se. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just because that was free and easy and quote unquote good enough uh, that it was serving as kind of the no system system uh, solution for many smaller uh, operators. Uh, that's, that's one theory. Um, uh, the other theory we had and sort of validated through a lot of conversation was that the tools that were offered in the space, um, the GIS and mapping tools were were really enterprise in nature and geared towards larger players, and no one had really tried to solve the problems for the small and mid-sized um, uh, network operators in a way that that really fit. Uh, so that's that's really what became the opportunity we we found for Vetro. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you know, big data and analytics generally are overwhelming, um, but as you as you pointed out, I think people try to solve these problems, right? They identify that certain information at the right time is helpful. And how do you, you know, Excel has always been the great consolidator for a lot of businesses, right? Because you can always get something on a spreadsheet, you know, either fat finger in it or importing or whatever. Um, So, you know, there's this pregnant need for people looking for information or different ways of looking information or suspecting that there's insight in, in combining all this information, you know, so maybe you could talk a little bit about how you take all you know the enormous amount of data that you guys see in the marketplace and that you also provide and help people um, simplify it, right? How, how do you help them make it less of about the organization of the data and more about the extracting insight from the data? Yeah. Uh, uh- yeah, let me try and address that at a couple of levels because one thing that the Vetro Fiber Map is a, a fiber management platform, and it's it's uh, it's meant for the creation and curation of uh, an asset database for a particular network and not the outside plant elements uh, that comprise an, a fiber optic network. Uh, it's an engineering tool at its heart, um, including recording the connectivity and splicing and such 
Um, and I, I say that because something it's not is it's not a discovery tool. Uh, we're not publishing um, a vast database of all the fiber in the world or in the country. Uh, rather, we are providing the, the tools in the container for an individual network owner to manage their own network. And we've seen both ends of that. Uh, along the way, prior to building Vetro, we were contracted to build a tool called Fiber Locator, which was more of a discovery tool. Uh, it had a lot less detail in that it was essentially marketing level routes, you know, uh, who's got fiber in this city or near this address. Uh, and it was, it was built in a brokerage context and a discovery context. Um, Vetro Fiber Map, on the other hand, it goes goes deeper it goes inside that cable and inventories the the fiber strands and the splicing and the and the uh, the routes uh, so going back to your question about uh, bringing that data out and turning it into kind of insight that's where that's that's when we start thinking about the operation of an ISP and the service delivery over the top of the network um, you know when you're planning or, or designing, and then you know, building and, and then ultimately managing and operating the network, you really need access to the physical and operational status of every strand of glass that's out there, um, and every at every point along the way on a path where you know over which data is traveling. Uh, so that that the operational uses of the map and the mapping information are. Are numerous and they're varied uh, internal to that ISP or that network operator. Um, th did that answer your question? I'm not sure, Pete. Yeah, no, it's starting to. I mean, part of part, I guess, the, my next question to dig down to that a little bit is, um, you know, what was missing from from the current approaches? You mentioned a couple other tools that are out there and other processes, um, you know, and yeah. people kind of homegrown trying to figure it out. So, you know, what do you think is kind of the secret sauce that would that's going to help bringing this to mainstream use and adoption? Yeah, the, the things the things that we found to be missing, and and this was a process of discovery um, by talking. You know, we we we're map guys and we're software developers uh, with with mapping backgrounds um, as opposed to telecom engineers. So. You know, we took our we took our cue from uh, folks at the at the ISPs that need that need to manage network and build network. Um, and what seemed to be missing was uh, either the tools in use didn't go deep enough; they weren't rich enough. So, say Fiber Locator or Google Earth, for that matter, um, they were they were sort of uh, scratching the surface, but not solving the problem of you know asset management and complete end-to-end in, -end inventory um, or they were just too big and too expensive and too complicated uh, you know he, 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 the small isp serving you know ten thousand customers isn't going to drop millions of dollars on a system that's designed for you know a tier one telecom uh, and that, that complexity is what it's really the the, the challenge that we we met. We tried to meet head on when we were building Vetro. Uh, take the complexity out of it, uh, and, and I guess fundamentally, what that the goal there 
is to let the telecom engineer do telecom engineering and not have to have a master's degree in GIS, you know, <laughs> right. which is what I went and got. <laughs> like, right. It's not that, it's not that fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you want to deliver a Google maps level experience. Um, but, but also the, you know, the, the robustness and the richness of, uh, a connectivity model and all that splicing information. I mean, these records are, are vast and detailed and they might live in a spreadsheet right now. Uh, you really want them in a database that you can manage so that you can uh, maintain the data over time and then get answers when you need them. That's what it boils down to. You know, how do I put this person back online or, you know, if there's a problem on, on this uh, cable, you know, who's impacted that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think you touched on a couple of really important, not just, just for this category of capability, but um, a lot of, uh, solutions or software in the marketplace that, that we see, you know, as I have a software background, you know, adoption is really dependent on, um, do I need to teach you how to use my tool to help you do your job? You know, and I think the, right. the, the prevailing trend is to become less of, uh, controlling the process and, and, and through my view, but fitting into their process and enhancing it, right? So usability and understanding the processes. And, and as you mentioned, building solutions that are, defined and designed by your clients is very uh, invaluable, right? I mean, because that's really, um, that's really how you get inside. You know, if you don't bring that experience to the table, um, but understanding how people are trying to solve problems and when they need to pick up a pencil and how you can help them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think about um, uh, apps on the smartphone and how that just sort of changed the whole paradigm of software and things are super targeted single purpose you know you, you got to be able to accomplish your mission with a single click you know right. and uh you know we try to take that philosophy into our work um it's not easy i mean the you know fiber optic network is pretty complicated and it, yeah. you're, de you're dealing with splitters and and uh you know kind of flow and connections and equipment and so forth but um but yeah you know uh, simplifying that as much as possible from a user experience perspective R really it democratizes who can contribute right. to the map or, or benefit from it, you know, um, just, uh, by making it accessible. Yeah. It's a great point, right? Um, if you take out those, those hurdles of having to learn how to use specific tools, then more and more people can participate in that, uh, analysis or benefit from that data. But, you know, on the, so you're knocking down, incidentally, you're knocking down kind of functional silos, right, within operators or within organizations. And, and the same is true um, on the client side, right? So subscribers and trying to provide a seamless experience for um, the ISPs are trying to provide a seamless experience or channel, you know, multi-channel or um, experiences for their, their customers. But on what, what I think the, the, the mistake that a lot of people are just kind of a bias that people have is on the back end, the complexity is still there. Right. And I think, yes, you yes. know, is there, are there standards out there? Like, you know, we, we look at TM forum is helping us try to define standard definitions. Um, are there any kind of GIS, you know, working groups with telecom, you know, focus that are trying to help, um, provide that kind of standardization that, um, and interoperability that's required for, um, better insight, but also, um, yeah, improved usability. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, there, there, there are, you know, um, I, I want to 
mention a little bit about our version of building GIS tools because it's relevant here, I think. And, and that is to say, um, we, we build in, uh, in and on top of open source tools and libraries, um, as opposed to one of the, uh, you know, major publishers that might be offering um, a GIS engine or a database engine. Uh, so the difference being uh, we're, we're kind of constructing software from the ground up on a blank, a blank canvas. <laughs> and that helped us with that design simplicity on the front end, but also the whole stack is, is kind of put together uh, in a very intentional way to serve, to solve the problems that, that are at hand for these network managers. Um, the flip side of that is taking a, a large um, existing GIS type tool and then trying to strip it down and orient it to fiber management. And that, that's, that's not uncommon for a lot of industries. Um, there would be uh, kind of a tailoring of uh, an existing GIS tool to meet the needs of that industry. So you're kind of stripping down instead of building up. Um, I, I would say by building up, we found that um, we got to kind of build the, the schema and the data management structures from scratch. Uh, but we did, you know, look at what was out there as best we could, uh, as far as standards for telecom data, uh, and specifically the mapping and GIS data. Uh, and it, and we did, we did that after the fact, but it turned out we kind of mirrored, uh, things that were going on in other tools. Um, there, there, there was no published standard, right? But the fundamentals of how you manage the relationships of the, of the network and the graph model and things like that uh, ended up matching uh, what other systems might be using. And some of the GIS publishers are, are just now beginning to publish some telecom uh, sta schema standards and such on the, on the TM forum side, we're, we're a member there as well. And that's a good place to drive standards when it comes to interoperability and APIs. So, you know, the other thing that we try to do is publish our capabilities through APIs uh, because we, you know, being the asset management tool and the outside plant inventory tool is just a piece of the puzzle. And, right. uh, you know, the operational support systems and billing systems and CRMs and things that go into the, the, the full package of delivery of service, uh, you know, they need to ask questions of the map and we want to enable that. So TM forums uh, standards for APIs are, uh, are a place that we're orienting ourselves as well. Yeah. It's, it's good to hear about open source and standards being adopted by more and more um, software vendors. I think it's uh, the way of the future. And uh, I think everybody benefits from it um, specifically our clients and the end clients. Um, where do you, what's the natural next step? Uh, you know, where does this go from here that, you, you know, there's an adoption that's happening, Clearly, there's a big uh, focus on our industry, as we mentioned from the outset. Um, you know, if you step back and dream about um, not not just Vetro, but this capability within um, your client's hands, how do you see it evolving? Well, uh, I, I think what we're giving people the ability to do is uh, is memorialize and inventory and document. The, these fiber networks that are that are either out there or are being built and deployed or upgraded or expanded now, and that that provides a foundation, uh, you know, an information foundation and an asset 
that can be leveraged by by the operator themselves, uh, but it can also be published and shared. And I think that's going to lead to uh, more uh, shared asset use. Uh, you know, um, you think about like an open access fiber network, for example, where you're gonna you might have multiple operators, uh, you know, sharing lanes on the highway or sharing strands of fiber in a cable. Um, or you know the same model applies to wireless. You've got different different companies with antennas on a shared tower. So that shared infrastructure model um, can be enabled, better enabled by having accurate and uh, you know accessible data about those assets. And I think uh, we're going to see more of that, um, more leasing, more sharing, uh, more shared use, and and this information foundation. Uh, can and should support that, especially with more and more players getting into the game. You know, we we have customers um, in the municipal sector and uh, you know uh, electric co-ops sector uh, and a, a lot of others uh, around the edges that that we maybe wouldn't have thought about as potential customers are coming into wanting to you know they're building rings or they're deploying even fiber to the home in different contexts, um, and so you know getting them to a place where they can. Uh, manage and curate their own data, uh, operate their network more efficiently, you know, respond to trouble and outages and maintenance and break fix more effectively and quickly. Um, all of that uh, is around the bend. At least, you know, that's what we're hearing from our our uh, users. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, even in this industry, there's a lot of consolidation and acquisition going on in that, you know, we have a couple of conversations coming up around about that post-merger integration, um, the pain, you know, part of it is discovery of current assets, location yeah. of your fiber, but also in, you know, as an out, um, a consequence of this pandemic, right, where there's going to be an influx of money and, you know, people aren't asking about, do I need, uh, you know, effective or reliable broadband at home. It's like, how can I get it faster? Right. And so, right. you know, you, you know, solutions like having all that data available and, and shared, I think gets us to a, a better answer in, in the future. Um, and also the, the concern that I have is this kind of attraction now, this rush. And I think a lot of people have this is the sustainability of the systems that we're going to be building, right. Instead of just knee jerk reaction and trying to get, um, you know, afford or uh, broadband out to underserved areas. That's really building networks that are of today instead of the future. You know, we're going to have to upgrade those anyway. So, open access and shared resources and sustainable models, um, I think, have to be on the table. And I think if you, you know, just like we talked about the standards from a data level, um, having standards of informational uh, sharing, right, where we can make um, those types of decisions easier and less expensive to get people on board, I think is critical to having that informational foundation as you described. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. You know, and you, uh, you raise a good point there about um, kind of doing it right. Even if you're, even if we are in a hurry, um, you know, we, we've, we've got some customers uh, who are deploying uh, fiber to the home networks, but they're, they're, they're basically taking fiber out to a multi-port uh, with four, four, four ports on it. Uh, using three of the ports for a fiber drop to nearby houses and using the fourth port for a, uh, an LTE antenna for wireless coverage to, you know, to quickly get to more houses that are, that are nearby, but not right on that pole. Um, their plan though, is to then go out and 
continue deploying the fiber until they reach all the homes. So it's kind of this leapfrog, um, you know, get some, get something in place, uh, with a wireless solution uh, in a hybrid context and then go continue doing the job of deploying the fiber for an ultimately, uh, you know, more sustainable, more reliable, more robust uh, network. So it's an inter- interesting strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing I wanted to do a little bit too is, is I, we mentioned the pandemic a couple times. I mean, so what, how, what are the conversations with, with your customers right now? And, and how do you see um, your, your organizations or capabilities role in helping them deal not only in the short term, but in the medium term? Yeah. Well, um, uh, you know, that there's two sides to, to that coin, you know, we, it, because we, you know, our customer base tends to be in the small and, and mid, the midsize um, kind of sector uh, segment of network operators and ISPs. Uh, a lot of them are small and um, resource constrained and some, some of their customers are, uh, are now feeling the, you know, the pain of this economic downturn and, maybe can't pay their bills. So there's going to be, you know, some, some impact, uh, of course, uh, with huge unemployment kind of looming and a lot of uncertainty about which businesses will reopen and then even survive in many cases. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the on the, um, on, on the demand side, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty out there and economic distress. Um, on the positive side though, you know, what these operators are delivering is, is, is so critical and it's just been highlighted as such, you know, it's, uh, it's fundamentally necessary to have connectivity or we can't do school, (laughs) for example, uh, or we can't, you know, take care of people with telemedicine applications, uh, or, or, or we can't do entertainment or any of these commerce thing, anything really, uh, with this in a distributed online, Kind of a marketplace or world without what without the network connectivity and so the, their their mid their medium term or um, you know midterm horizon here I think is just going to be massive demand and they're telling us that they're getting calls for upgrades and uh, please bring fiber to, to my neighborhood and you know an incredible surge in interest and demand um, which is you know fairly obvious why that is. Um, you know they're they're having trouble in some cases. They're telling us uh, with installations. Um, you know, worrying managing health and safety concerns for the installers and for the people in homes who are ordering the service. They, some folks, uh, some ISPs have a moratorium on, on home, in-home installations. Um, there are some different techniques being employed there, like uh, self-service install kits and things, but. Uh, it's you know it's challenging and um, that, that that's another thing that we've been hearing a lot of. Uh, I think they're also responding in a in admirable kind of community service ways. Uh, mm-hmm. We have numerous customers who are telling us that they're they're putting out uh, free public Wi-Fi hotspots in in, in, um, in target areas and strategic areas. Uh, in particular, to help uh, you know kids do their homework and get online without having to go, uh, you know, travel far or uh, go somewhere that's not not safe or convenient. So um, you know they're they're doing what they can. I think uh, our, the folks that we're talking to, our customers, um, 
to step up and try and, uh, you know, continue operations as best they can, continue building and expanding the networks, upgrading capacity and service, uh, you know, in, in ways that can be done short term while planning for a longer term surge, you know, in, in growth and deployment. What, what about the government side of the story? I mean, so you mentioned earlier on some of the in your in your journey about, you know, sewers and other kinds of critical infrastructure mapping i mean our states and local governments even federal i mean the fcc has maps on well, potential maps on reported you know brand broadband connectivity i mean is there any value in at a grander level mapping out this type of infrastructure and, and is there anybody moving in that direction yeah um i mean at at the aggregation level that you hear all about with the fcc and their you know form 477 reporting that you're dealing with census geographies and, and census blocks and census block groups are convenient units to aggregate data into uh, for things like the census, you know, how many homes are here and what's the average income and things like this. Um, they're less appropriate and useful when it comes to telecom infrastructure and networks uh, where you really care about points and lines and not polygons. You want to know, is there, is there a fiber cable running down this street? Uh, and can this particular home or address or business, uh, this location, can it be served? So the reporting is a mess the way it's done now. <laughs> and it's over reports coverage uh, dramatically. Uh, and I think it's, that's widely you know known and agreed. Um, the same is true for the wireless side, but, uh, just sticking with wireline, um, I don't want to state a percentage of overstating overstatement, but it, there's a there's a problem of one location served equals all locations served at the census block level mm. in the report in the reporting. So uh, blocks can be pretty big. Uh, you might have a house on a street that has good service on one edge of it and therefore the whole block counts as served <laughs> and you, you you're gonna you might have 50 houses on the other side of the block that don't have any coverage at all but right they're but they're, but they're unfortunately uh, counted as served um, the other thing that's challenging about that is the, the fact that the um, the actual coverage reported in terms of speed and quality uh, is advertised speed and maximum available essentially so um, it doesn't mean that every location in that reportedly served area can get the, that level of service or that speed. Uh, in fact, it's often not the case. So um, is there is there room for doing it better? Absolutely. Um, we are working with um, a partner called CostQuest Associates on a lot of things. Uh, they do some data work on, and modeling to try and estimate the build cost. Um, some of their work flows up to the FCC. Uh, some of it is done for private carriers, but um, they've uh, been working on something called the broadband location fabric, which mm. is meant to be meant to be a, a, a big giant national map of dots, <laughs> points, uh, addresses uh, geared towards, you know, then overlaying uh, who's actually served and, and can be served uh, at a point level, at an address level, a location level. Um, that's a work in progress. The, I think they have the location data uh, pinned down pretty well. The coverage data that would then associate to that is another matter. And I think that, that that's, um, that's been done on a, uh, a certain state-by-state state level, but not on the national level. 
there are some other strategies and plans being explored uh, upstream uh, at the you know reporting entity level of FCC and or the states uh, in terms of trying to improve broadband coverage mapping. Um, that's that's a whole ball of wax that we tried to. Um, I wouldn't say steer clear of, but uh, it's not, it's not our wheelhouse. We're, we're yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't, ex- yeah, I, I, I don't expect, you know, there's certain, you have to be a certain size and, and, and passion to, to get involved in that stuff. But it's just interesting to, uh, to hear about that. Are, there are folks that are trying to figure out where all these uh, lines are, um, which I think is responsible uh, yeah. actions here. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, to that end, there's a huge um, federal fund coming online, uh, the RDOF, Rural yep. Digital Opportunity Fund. Yeah. Um, many of our customers and many, many others who are calling in looking for help um, are evaluating you know, whether to bid in that auction, which will be this fall. Um, and you know, it's a $16 billion slug of money. The rules are geared in such a way that it it, it is likely to favor favor uh, fiber uh, or you know higher speeds, gigabit speeds have uh, you know uh, heavier weight than in in different auctions of the past. So uh, you know, hopefully we don't uh, let that money flow to like satellite providers uh, to just do what they were going to do anyway, right. which has happened, which has happened in the past. Right. Uh, but. Um, but that's important uh, federal money, and and when you start hearing about infrastructure spend, I mean infrastructure investment is is kind of a classic way to get through a recession and, and get get back on track in many ways. And um, I think telecom and network infrastructure is a you know is a is a perfect outlet and target for that kind of investment. So I think you'll see more than just RDOF uh, coming online to support connecting all the, un, you know, either unconnected or, or underserved type uh, locations in the country. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've been talking with uh, Will Mitchell, the co-founder of Vetro Fiber Map, and um, Will's given us a, a great overview of this capability that's out there. And I think there's really, like you said, there's a big, bright spotlight on uh, the space and critical is definitely now part of the broadband vernacular, um, I think, thanks to, or unfortunately, thanks to this pandemic. And, um, and I, and I think what you all are, are leading to this informational foundation is really the first critical step in, in how we move forward. Um, how can our listeners more learn more about, um, Vetro Fiber and, and the work that you guys are doing? Uh, they can check out the website, uh, vetrofibermap.com. That's sort of, you know, the, the, the first and best place to, to look to get in touch with us. Um, we historically have done a lot of trade shows. Unfortunately, they're all uh, shut down. Right. So we miss, uh, we miss getting out there and seeing our partners and our customers that way. Uh, hopefully, you know, we'll get back on that track uh, sometime soon. Uh, we have a couple of... Um, webinars upcoming through the fiber broadband association okay uh we also host um a full product demo twice a month twice monthly uh and all that stuff can be found on the website um and uh, as the, my direct contact information i'm happy to give out to is simply will at vetrofibermap.com or um you know our phone numbers on the website too we 
we, we really like to engage with the community and with our customers. Um, uh, you know, welcome, welcome your inquiries. Uh, happy to help if we can anytime. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time. And it's great to hear the story about uh, this entrepreneurial spirit you guys have, have pulled together. And, and uh, I think both from a software perspective, it's really been interesting as well as uh, the, the fiber and the, broad, the broadband perspective. So, Will, I really appreciate taking the time out of your busy day. And uh, I look forward to uh, running into you into events once they uh, start happening again. Hey, thanks, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Will.